0: Oh, well, kia ora Welcome back to another edition of the Department of Conversation. Uh, today's episode is brought to you in part by our Patreon. That's right, we are sponsoring this episode all by ourselves. <laughs> if you would consider, uh, like to consider, like to check out being involved in helping us to produce this podcast, then you can visit our Patreon, which is www.patreon.com forward slash the D-O-C-N-Z. Just the letters, the D-O-C-N-Z. Zed, uh, we fund this all ourselves at the moment, and uh, if you had an idea or a thought that you want to get out there and help some independent media groups uh, continue to make media, then we'd love to have you on board as a as a patron and our Patreon as a supporter, patreon.com forward slash the D-O-C-N-Z. Um, alrighty, guys, uh, today's conversation is with Mike McRoberts, News Hub, News Hound, <laughs> News Hub. Silver Fox as well, you know, you got that out there. And um, he is a, was a really interesting guy to talk to because he has a very wide breadth of knowledge in the media world, especially to do with conflict. He's known as someone who works in areas of conflict, as in war-torn areas. So I really wanted to have a chat with Mike, A, because he's a pretty uh, cool dude, uh, but B, because I wanted to get his take on the current situation and what's going on in the media. So it's, uh, he's a pretty good guy to talk to about the current media climate. So enjoy it. It's Mike McRoberts. And we're live with Mike McRoberts. Mike, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. Really appreciate you giving us a bit of your time. Being an essential
1: worker that you are. <laughs> yes, it's nice, isn't it, to be called essential. Um, and and I've got to say, since the since before the lockdown, it's felt a bit like that. We're certainly being used as an essential service with the number of uh, you know public broadcasts we're doing with the, the daily press conferences and that kind of thing. So, yeah, um, it's a strange... It's a strange time, as we all know, and uh, even stranger when you're working in it. I do enjoy the fact that I'm working in it because I think that helps the the time go by. Otherwise, you'd be be bored shitless, wouldn't you?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I, I think people are are feeling that a bit as well. Some of us have gotten busier, which is a very strange irony, but I think a lot of people are sitting around twiddling their thumbs. We've been joking that, um, you know, they talk about Christchurch being the garden city, but it feels like perhaps after this four-week, New Zealand will be the garden country because everyone's done All all the weeds are gone in New Zealand, all the lawns are mowed, all those jobs are done, and so we're beautifying New Zealand uh, one section at a time, I think, at the moment.
1: I know, it's fantastic, and I think we're also going to see the emergence after lockdown of two types of people, those who haven't trained and... have got into baking over the four weeks yep. and those who have got out and done a bit of fitness possibly for the first time in a while so uh, I think the physios are going to be uh, well and truly um, overstocked when it comes to that i
0: think there's it's going it's going to be I've one of the things we've been talking about with the series of uh welcome to my bedroom podcasts um and just so you know as well i don't run a porn site or anything. I put those neons. <laughs> I put those neons up specifically for something interesting in the background for this. There's not a regular feature of my headboard. Um, is the other alternatives like what I've been thinking as well is as I pick up my phone as it buzzes, is I've been wiping down my phone when I've gotten back from being outside. And a couple of times when I wiped it down I've had like a, you know, an antibacterial wipe. You know, they've got those little little holes at the end there. I wonder how many people are going to ruin their electronics during this period because they're viciously wiping down keyboards and stuff with antibacterial wipes. And, you know, I think about cars, how many cars are going to have flat batteries when we come out of it. And so there could be a bunch of little jobs for various companies when we come out from things we've either inadvertently stuffed up because of lockdown or that we've uh, not paid attention to because of lockdown.
1: Yeah, I actually I got got a new car um or a couple of weeks before lockdown and but even in the weeks before lockdown I wasn't really travelling and it's a hybrid and um I've still got a quarter of a tank of gas left and it's like 6 weeks so I haven't been to a petrol station yet. Yeah, I <laughs> so well I
0: I did a similar thing. I was talking to my sister in Auckland, uh, I think on the Wednesday, the Wednesday of lockdown and she went, "Oh, I'm going to go get a tank of gas just for safety." she goes, oh, bugger, there's 40 cars backed up. And I went, oh, that's probably quite a good idea. So, and I say this with affection, sleepy old Dunedin, Mm. I thought, yeah, maybe I should, maybe, I've got half a tank, but, you know, you just, you never know. So I I head myself along there, and I pulled into my local uh, petrol station with, you know, eight pumps, and there was one car in the forecourt. And so I just pull up and full up, and thought, well, while I'm here, I've got some, I've got my my 20-litre petrol thing in the back for the lawnmower and for my tools at home. So I'll fill that up as well, and, yeah, I've driven about 10Ks total, so I've got a lot of excess of <laughs> fuel at the moment. I've got more than a whole
1: tank, so I guess I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, all that panic buying. Do you think people are going to be left with, you know, rooms full of toilet paper at the end of lockdown?
0: I never understood the <laughs> toilet paper. Like, I, I can understand food. You know, people buying mm. tons of spaghetti because it'll stay in the cupboard for a long time. But I never understood the toilet paper. Who, I don't know. In fact, I was talking to... um Who was I talking to? It might have been someone who worked at Pack and Save. I don't know know when because I, or maybe it was the day before because I haven't been to the supermarket in this time period. And I went, what was it with the, the impulse buys on toilet paper? Yeah, it was. It was Pack and Save before we locked down. And she said, oh, we didn't have time to put it out. If they had have just looked up, they would have seen that there was, you know, pack and safe has those storage on top. There was reams mm. of toilet paper up there, <laughs> and and we both thought, both me and this lady, I was speaking to a pack and safe uh, that that was a good philosophy for the next four weeks. Just look up, just look up, and and take a breath, <laughs> and you'll probably see the answer you're looking for.
1: <laughs> well, you've done well not to go to a supermarket. Um, actually, I've, I've got to be, I've got to say, I've, I'm the same. I haven't been into a supermarket yet either. Uh, my son has, uh, which has been very. Very good, just to pick up some essentials. But generally speaking, for day-to-day stuff, I've, I've gone to the superette, the local superette, right. which has been fantastic. Um, although I bought some tofu the other day and it was 13 bucks. Oh wow! <laughs> for tofu, really? <laughs>
0: I um, I haven't. I'm one of those people that has a bit of an overflow normally anyway. So if I go there and you know, spaghetti's on special, or baked beans are on special, or toilet paper's on special, or whatever, I'll I won't just buy what I need for that week. I'll buy three lots and I'll chuck them in my overflow cupboard. So I've always sort of had that. The day before the lockdown, I just only got a few more things. You know, a few more, nothing nothing serious, but a few more um, pasta sauces and a little bit more um, pasta and just some bits and pieces. We've got. I use a local fruit and veggie store in Dunedin who delivers so I have obviously had to restock fresh fruit and veggie and we've got a dairy just down the corner and I went in there the other day and just got some bread but other than that we're we're still we're still rocking along with uh, probably the truth is going through a little bit of those frozen minces in the freezer that have actually been there for six months not that we picked up for this (laughs) because you see it on special and you get another one then you realize there's already three trays in the freezer So yeah, so no, it, it's yeah. been going quite good. Um, I I, I realize that I don't think I've spoken to someone who is sort of working their quote unquote normal job at the moment during this, and I wondered if you'd tell us a bit what your what your day is like at the moment and how has it changed from you know I don't want to say pre-COVID because pre-COVID it was a bit weird as well, but let's say six months ago. Um, mm. so what what are you doing now? Any different, and how is it affecting you know your job every night live at six o'clock?
1: well we are definitely practicing um social distancing Mm -hmm. at work so um for me how that looks is that i don't go in until mid-afternoon right i do a lot of stuff from home um and when i do get in um my my newsroom or what used to be my newsroom is now spread over two or three different floors in our building in eden terrace um because most of the other staff you know the sales staff um programming all that kind of stuff they're all working from home so right. the only essential workers that need to be in the station at the time are, are, are pretty much um you know they're, they're for news so we're spread out over two or three different floors it's it's quite eerie when you walk in you know um and you you automatically are a lot quieter yeah yep. <laughs> um my co-host uh Samantha Hayes she's um sitting a distance away from me uh, when we actually present the news at 6 o'clock we're separate so one of us is standing at the wall, the other one's at the desk and that's kind of been a bit weird although if you're standing at the wall um, it means you get to go home early because you leave (laughs) before sport and uh, and weather so you're surplus to requirements as soon as the sport starts so that's kind of strange at first I felt like I wasn't contributing enough to the news and then you know, that quickly passed, and I was pleased to be home before the weather ended.
0: Yeah. Do you share <laughs> Do you share that role? Like, do you do the desk one night, and yeah. Sam does the wall on you, vice versa, sort of thing?
1: Yeah, we do. We do. We, we alternate that. Um, I'm not sure what's going to happen if we move out of lockdown uh, out of um, Alert Level 4, whether we'll go back to sitting at the desk together. I know across the road at TVNZ, they've done it a completely different way. Um, they have complete separate teams, like a red team and a blue team. Yeah. Um, and so that's for presenting, reporting the whole works, which is amazing. I, in fact, I bumped into uh, a TVNZ um, staff member uh, when I was out for a run the other day. And um, he said, oh, you're not doing the, the whole split team thing. I said, no. And I said, who the hell can do that? We, we <laughs> Apart don't we,
0: from you guys. we don't have the public dollar to fall back on for that <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And obviously, you know, you look at what's happening with the media now and it's um, – Well, I mean, there were tough times before, Uh, uh, but now it feels not only are we covering the biggest story in the world, probably the biggest story of our lifetimes, um, but we're also fighting for survival as well. Uh, And that is incongruous when you think that we have the biggest audiences we've had in a long time too, because people are thirsty for for knowledge about what's happening. Um, But yes, I mean, we've obviously taken a 15% pay cut at MediaWorks. I see stuff have just announced they're doing the same. Um, there's been redundancies that entered, entered me, Bows, you know gone under um, tough times.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting to see how the flow- on event you know, kind of happens. but obviously for you guys, uh, it's a very big beast. Any kind of television station is a big beast, so not specifically you, but it's a big beast with a lot of moving parts and a lot of uh, income needed to be generated to make that work, um you know through advertising. Uh, but if mm-hmm. you follow it all the way through, you know, I'm here in Dunedin I have a few small clients that I work on and with media and marketing and you know, two or three of them have gone, Well, there's there's nothing to advertise at the moment because we can't do anything, so there's, you know, a half to a third of your your sort of weekly business income disappearing and it's uh, it's it's interesting and you can and I guess it's like I, I guess if you've got a lot, a lot of overheads I'd consider you sort of a big domino or whether you're a small domino, they still tip over the same, you know. A small, to- a small domino. small yeah, domino. In absolutely. fact, I remember um, watching, I can't remember what it was, but uh, it was like one of those, how do they do it programs? And they said, can we push over a 10-story building with this domino? And the thing is, it can push over something double its size. So like a one-inch domino can put a push over a two-inch domino, which can push over a four-inch domino. And so in other words, through exponential growth, in theory, a one-inch domino could mm. get to pushing over something 10 stories tall. And it's a bit like that, you know, one small thing falls over in this economy and that has this flow on effect and can eventually end up, you know, harming, a, I don't know how much TV3 costs to run, but a hundreds of millions of dollars business through all lots of small dominoes.
1: Yeah, and it's it's been incredible, hasn't it, to see how many big businesses have been clearly operating on the breadline. Um, yeah. You know, you Burger King this week announcing uh, you know, that it had gone into receivership. I mean, these are, these are big companies. Um, in terms of media, I think anyone whose income is derived from advertising, you're a, you're a bit of a barometer of, of what's to come, yeah. um, because obviously advertising's booked months and months in advance, and we saw that with the global financial crisis when it was coming before it hit, and uh, and that's the scary thing at the moment. Our uh, advertising's been cut by about half, and you see wow. even the ad breaks are a lot shorter. Um, but there's no end in sight with that. I mean, no one's you know, ringing up to book more advertising. Uh, and I guess everyone's waiting to see what happens. But that flow on effect, even when lockdown finishes, is um, is going to be really interesting. We agreed as staff to a, a 15% pay cut for three months. But um, there was revised over that to go for another three months after that. And I'm picking that'll probably be the case. Right. Uh, Interesting, hasn't it? Being the, the sort of discussions that I've seen on um, social media talking about, you know, um, mainstream media or traditional media going to the government and wanting wanting a handout, and then you've got people saying, well, you know, you know social media is where it's at, and that kind of thing. It's it's really thrown that whole issue uh, into people's um, into the forefront of people's minds again. The thing I'd say to that, and um, and I've I've held off going on Twitter and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and having a rant. But, you know, Facebook and Google don't provide the stories. You know, they're not the yeah. ones in the press conferences uh, who are pushing um, the Director General of Health to find out more information about the uh, unknown cluster in Auckland. And they're not, you know, Michael Mora, you know, going on each night with some really good facts and, and great talent about the lack of PPE uh, protective equipment for nurses in in hospitals, and so that's the thing. I mean, you know, we're not just providing a service in terms of uh, putting those things to wear, but actually going further than that and doing journalism. And that's the thing that annoys me is that um, you know, those questions aren't being asked by Google and and Facebook. The only questions they're asking the government at the moment is, how much do you want to spend? Yeah. And And uh, and I think that's where, you know, uh, traditional media is is getting quite pissed off at the moment because there's a lot of money being spent on that by the government when it should be going into into local pockets.
0: Yeah, and I I agree. It's it's tough because it's also it's you I 100% agree with you, but it's also the world we live in. Like hearing Jacinda in the press conference yesterday say um, You know, she was asked that question directly, how much money are you putting into advertising on social media versus into traditional media? She said, well, we have to go where the people are. And I actually agree with that as well. And so how do we, I guess then the biggest question is how do we protect, look after, ensure our journalists in our fourth estate in New Zealand, which is essential to a democracy, and also... Reach to the people where they are. I mean, is it that the fourth estate needs to move to where the people are? That would seem to make more sense. You know, if if you were if you were a, um, if you were a teacher and there was lots of kids in a certain part of town that needed teaching, so that's where the school was. You'd move to where the jobs were. You know, does the uh, quote unquote traditional media mainstream whatever people want to call it? I don't think there is any traditional media anymore necessarily. Um, how do they what do we do do we force people to come to the media or do we figure out how the media goes to them and I think if we, if we can figure that out then everyone can stay together it's a bit like I was talking to Anna Fifield the other day from the Washington Post um, and I said to her, don't you get pissed off when everyone said newspapers are dead, yet every story on CNN or M E C B C tends to start with, it was reported in the Washington Post, or it was reported mm-hmm. in the New York Times, it was like you seem to feed all the big companies, and she basically said for them, it's it's cyclical, so they'll see a story on CNN and then they'll report on it, and you know, I yep. credit them and it's vice versa, so they've figured out a way to sort of do it I guess, uh, I just wonder if we're in a stage where the, the media whatever that means needs to figure out how to play the cards they're dealt as opposed to going these cards are unfair
1: yeah and um and that's the quandary we're in at the moment i mean you know google and facebook run our stories uh but they don't pay for them so yeah, yeah. you know um and not just ours but all new zealand media stories and that's the thing that other people don't realize is that without those stories there wouldn't be a news service or you know access to news on those On those social media platforms so um yeah i'm i'm not sure what the answer is i mean you know this has been bashed around uh, smarter minds than mine for a few years now i get the feeling though that this could be a real crossroads for us if we don't sort something out now um in fact i heard uh i heard mark jennings um yesterday um, uh saying that he thinks it's probably a year too late which is wow not great to hear but it's yeah, um, depressing yeah mark was obviously a former news director of, uh, of tv3 so um and his site is now newsroom yeah. is that right yes that's right yeah. yeah and and you look at those you know businesses newsroom off. i mean they're doing a fantastic job um and and this is the issue we uh you know we, we need to encourage you know good journalism in this country um one thing we have seen and and I talked about our audience as being you know, bigger than they have been for a long time. And yep. that is that, that moved back to a trusted source. And so, mm-hmm. um, which is great when you're 54 and you've been in the business for 35 years, <laughs> 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 um, you know, um, and, and that has been uh, very helpful for us. And, uh, and there's something to be said in that.
0: Um, that idea of, oh, I've used this example before, uh, talking to people about, uh, evolving or disappearing with the media. And I used to my mum my used to talk about the Iceman. Uh, like when she was a little kid in the 40s, the Iceman would turn up once a week and drop the block of ice into the safe. And that's how they kept their, you know, fruit mm. and veggies refrigerated. And of course, what did the Iceman do when the old uh, refrigerators became available? And the answer is he either he either adapted or he disappeared. And uh, that's really depressing to hear that we might be a year too late if Jennings is saying that. But um, yeah, I, I wonder if as well, if we are a year too late, and this is probably the wrong question to ask you, but will TVNZ and the, and the state broadcaster be the place that ends up being the source of journalism in New Zealand? Are they going to integrate with Radio New Zealand and are they going to end up being a BBC type figure? In other words, then, as you have just said, Uh, you know, money, I'm not saying they've said money doesn't matter, but they have more resource to be able to do things and and they're the ones left standing because they're the only ones that can afford it.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I'd I'd personally uh, like to see that. I think, you know, New Zealand has long needed a a kind of an ABC or a BBC setup um, and approach. Um, But we also need an independent voice as well. And I Mm -hmm. think if TBNZ... Or at least tv1 was commercial free it would free up the rest of the advertising and and i think tv3 um prime you know sky could could probably live off the rest and and provide that uh provide that um independent source of news too which i think is crucial we we uh, we i've worked for both companies um worked for tvnz for six years and then uh, in fact this week uh 19 years at tp3 so um
0: Congratulations.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Celebrated very quietly, <laughs> um, it's particularly with what's going on at the moment in, in the media. But, um, yeah, and they're the quite distinct companies. Uh, the, the feeling within the newsroom and, and how we approach stories and, and how we do them and, and you know, the, the whole DNA of, of who we are is quite different, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and I think we need that. Do
0: you think that the independents out there, and I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, spin-off, newsroom, thinking about bloggers, you know, I, I know that Whale Oil is no longer really a, a blog, but was for a long time, uh, you know, Kiwi blog, these these big sources of opinion as opposed to news. I, on some level, even this sort of thing, you know, podcast that I'm doing from a bedroom, uh, maybe some of the, uh, especially around the world, I mean, you look what, ha- what happens with Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan sneezes in the world, Tries to find out what's going on with him at the moment. All the news headlines then follow him, but on some level, that that is also contributing to the decline of perhaps revenue and or eyes on mainstream media as well. Because you know, if I can read a piece on David Farah's blog site where he explains the news item that he's got from, let's just say, the New Zealand Herald, then I don't need to go to the New Zealand Herald. So they're sort of clipping that ticket as well, and mm-hmm. and perhaps also. Driving people away from having to go to the source, they go to the secondhand source where they get the nut-shelled, uh piece of uh, news, but also opinion thrown in there at the same time.
1: Yeah, I kind of feel it's the other way. To be honest, I think um, we've we've seen a terrific increase in um, in in traffic and t- without the podcasts that we've done and stuff like that and um, and audio um, work that we're doing. And so that's running alongside the, the rest of our work, and and people will see something, or or, or just want to know more, or, or want to see the whole thing, yeah. You know, actually, hear a conversation like we're having now, yeah. Um, and and listen to it, and and make their own minds up about stuff, and um, and I see this absolute merit in that as well. So I think the two can work side by side. The great thing that um, that I guess, you know, for people in television or or in um the the more traditional media is that they they bring with them when they go into that stuff a a profile and so or a familiarity and so you're not having to build that audience from scratch um you're uh you're you're bringing in people who already know you but maybe want to know a bit more about you and how you operate and and then also the subjects and and whatever you're you're talking about
0: yeah and and that's true i mean you know i i think probably the best example of that new zealand scene in the last 50 years is Holmesy. you know everyone would see mm-hmm. Holmes at seven o'clock and in, in the evening and everyone felt comfortable with him and they knew that they'd see him. although in saying that as well you seen when he left tvnz and went to prime wasn't it, it, it his audience yeah. didn't follow him so um the loyalty to him was associated with the station he was on as well so you know you've been at as you say um TV3 for 19 years. I was thinking maybe you could get some kind of single serve cake where no one touches each other's pieces and you just have one. I don't know. Um, is that. For a couple of dozen muffins. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and have them all wrapped separately and put separately. In. Um, is yeah,
1: that. I, is I, that I, don't, I don't think we'll be doing that for a while because <laughs> yeah, uh, true. last weekend, this lovely woman who works in our newsroom um, uh, brought in something to share with the rest of the team and we discovered she was sick. And so now got a few people in isolation because they're oh, waiting wow. to find out if they've got something. Oh no. So yeah, it's, and look, she, she, yeah, she just wouldn't even thought that she was doing something wrong. Um, yeah. It was Easter and she wanted to be kind. So it's, yeah. it's tough. Right? Yeah.
0: So I was wondering as well, the, the, the loyalty to the person and the loyalty to the brand um, as a, you know, former, Radio announcer and that kind of stuff. There's always a little bit of uh, arrogance and pride where you kind of leave a job where you've been pretty successful and you've built an audience and you, you know, you've done well. And then you see the person who comes after you just continue that on. <laughs> Don't miss a step. Just continue it on. The numbers stay they maybe they even get a bit better. Um, and <laughs> so I I was thinking about thinking about that when you were talking about um, you know TV3 is a, a brand that a lot of people are loyal to. I mean, there's well publicized. Um, financial hardships from last year obviously what we're going through at the moment is going to be even harder it feels like we're at a time now and this might be literally i I feel like that maybe the media landscape will change in the space of four weeks like it should have done for the last three or four years and we'll go well we Mm -hmm. have to do this now we can't keep doing this the way we've always done it and now is the time to say to those tv3 loyal fans uh viewers those people who that that's their brand you guys need to step up now what that means i don't know whether it's paywalls which have always been floated and only recently taken on board whether it's um you know the way you support us is to support our advertisers some overt message um but the the idea that um being loyal to the to the brand i think is the is the thing that we need the supporters to stump up for now if you're loyal to the all blacks and you want to watch them you pay money you either pay for a sky subscription or you pay for a ticket you know what i mean and I wonder if mm. that, that, that viewer listener based funding is going to have to be a portion of the way forward from now on. Because I, I, I had to listen a little bit to the, um, the media uh, meeting yesterday with uh, the mm. government. And I'm sorry, but New Zealand on Air can't do it. They can't do it. You know, I mean, as much as I love spin off, spin off TV shows that just throwing money at something can't lead to an outcome, there's, there's got to be listener or viewer buy in, and they have to have some skin in the game somehow. Whether it's buying these products or whether it's, you know, dipping into their own product uh, pocket.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think you did right. Um, and look, I, I hadn't actually thought of a television haywall scenario before. So um, yeah, that's very interesting. We are we are battling against you know obviously years of the, of the barn door being open, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and um, and we've seen how difficult it's been for. For the Herald um, and and for, for newspapers to, to do that. Although I'm a I'm a subscriber to the Herald Premium, I I can't remember the last time I brought a physical edition of the paper. I used to love sitting down to read the paper, but yeah. but now I'm just a, a, a premium um, subscriber, and uh, it's not a lot, and I think it's fair enough. Um, yeah, and I want to be supporting local media. Same with um, with Newsroom and the spinoff and. And, and the new york times so um but then you know i'm a news junkie too so that's that's what yeah. i want to see but you'd have to think probably within our core audience there'd be a percentage that might look at that
0: yeah yeah i think so i mean i, I mean and I think, I think the way to do it, as you say, the barn door's open. That's a beautiful example. We talked about this the other day. It was like, you know, you went from having to pay for a ticket to go see the All Blacks to TVNZ having the, the rights and ownership, which means everyone got to see it for free, to going behind a paywall on Sky TV and having the world explode. What do you mean paying to see the All well, like You always have had to because the only way you'd see them is to purchase a ticket at the gate. Um, and, but I think that the way forward perhaps is premium content, you know, and I think that's what the Herald has done. You can go to the Herald and get some things, but there's extra things put on top which you've got to pay for. And before when we were talking about the media needs to move to the people, I think, um, you know, groups like TV3, and you see it with RNZ heavily, although they're not necessarily commercial um, in the way we're talking about it, but moving, and Stuff does this very well, moving to the podcasts and, and actually going to where the people are. I mean, that Black Hands podcast from Stuff, I think, is singularly New Zealand's most successful ever podcast all over the world, mm. I think. I could be wrong with that. Um, and yeah, maybe, maybe, I mean, a television station needs to have some premium content behind walls that is either so good that the the viewer can't not buy it, or the flip side is so reasonably priced it's it doesn't it doesn't put a big hole in your pocket. So I used the example the other day, and it's not a news source, but Disney Plus. When Disney Plus came out, right. it was a hundred bucks for the whole year, and I was like, well that. That's you know that's eight bucks a month. That seems reasonable for my kids to have you know access to all these things for a whole year. Um, I actually purchased the um, New York Times uh, paywall. I went behind the paywall for that because I was doing um, with Professor Robert Patman. I was doing a podcast on Super Tuesday, and they had a special line, and it was twenty six US dollars for the whole year. And I was like, yeah, that's <laughs> that's that's just worth getting, you know. Yeah. Um. So it's either finding content that you know, and I'm not saying we can produce a Game of Thrones, but something that can't not be watched or at a price point that can't not be walked away from. And that's, I think, what the media, and I think some some of the paywalls in New Zealand, in my opinion, are, are too high and they're causing people to walk away from them. Finding that balance is, I think, what the, what we need to
1: do. I'm, hopefully you're not getting too much noise at the moment. It's, it's rubbish collection day. No. You know, it's still an essential service in, in uh, Auckland, thank goodness. You're sounding, you're sounding absolutely <laughs> perfect, Mike yeah <laughs> but i mean um, it's, yeah, a, look, it's a, it's a I, changing I time it is and and look and and with even with uh with the, the six o'clock news show with we've, we've turned far more into a curation service rather than um you know trying to just repeat what people have read all day and uh and and so that's made things you know we, when we we look to break a lot more stories and our, our focus is absolutely on breaking stories and we've got some really good journalists who can do that um but yeah that curation side of things too and i often talk to people when they say oh no you know i've been on been on staff or i've been on the herald or even been on our own website all day and i've I've seen all the news i want to see but it's very self-driven you know and it's the stuff you don't you don't look at which might be the best story of the day you know that that you aren't normally drawn to uh, because it's in a show or and I find that too with, um, with some of the really good paywalls. When you get into their premium service, the writing's fantastic, and so you have got to read about stuff that you wouldn't normally, and and that's just good. You know, it's really it just it, it opens so much more up to you, and um, and and I I'm really appreciative of that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's I'm I'm thinking also about what's happening offshore. I, I've been saying for the past year since trying to launch this podcast actually properly, been saying for the last year that New Zealand hasn't quite caught up to what's happening around the world in the digital Mm. landscape and you know you've got um guys who are doing daily news shows um who put out the first hour on youtube or on whatever platform they've got vimeo whatever and then they put out the second hour behind the paywall so they give a little bit of both you know or then you look at the people like the we talk about joe rogan like the joe rogans or the world they're so big that the advertisers come flooding to them um so they've found they've found the audience and they can support it that way as well i i'm um yeah, I'm I'm just interested in where to from here. I'm interested it's again, it's a byproduct, but it's a really serious byproduct as to what the media world will look like coming out of this. Will there be more contractors and more independents, you know, coming together and making up a source? The other thing is, um, I think obviously news and journalism is uber important. But if you're talking about a successful business model and a place of either you know, paywall opportunities or advertising, is if you look around the world, the biggest shows in the world are all the opinion-based ones. So, you know, disseminating the news with an opinion. So, and, and we don't really seem to have that in New Zealand now. Our two 7 o'clock programs, and I like them both, but they've more, moved to more sort of, I don't want to be patronising and say infotainment. It's not fluffy because mm-hmm. they talk about serious things, but it's certainly not that, Um, you Good. know, not to hark back, but that homes of the 90s sort of thing, or that, I um, don't oh know, I was trying to think of the guy from Australia who's on Sky News at 10 o'clock each night. Can't think of his name right now, but who really go, these are the issues, days, and this is my opinion on them. And they always seem mm. to be the biggest rating shows on those
1: stations. Mm. Yeah, we probably get that more in breakfast than we do. <laughs> we yeah, do, true. You know, at, at a, at a peak time, and I'm just. You know, I actually worked on The Home Show for three years um, and learned a hell of a lot from Paul Holmes. He was uh, an incredibly generous man um, and, and found it fascinating watching Harry operate it. I don't think we've ever seen another broadcaster like him. Mm. He just had that ability to, you know, pull in both sides of the argument and also, you know, deliver something with compassion, but also something with authority. And yeah, he was, um, he was fantastic. On his game, he was amazing. Yeah, he, he
0: was, I, um, I had Jack Tame in the studio not too long ago. He was down here for a writer's festival. And we both talked about Paul because I had interactions with him around ZB. And um, the thing that was, I always found most endearing about him was actually how endearing he was. He was so lovely and nice. And, you know, I was an absolute nobody, bottom of the rung, last, last man on sort of thing um But he'd talk to me like he'd talk to Grumpy as producer, or you know we mm-hmm. were all important, and and he'd actually he'd actually pump me sometimes for information, and I always used to love that. So he'd be going down for a durry just before the show started, <laughs> and I'd be going down to the elevator to leave, and he'd be like pat pat, pat what are they talking about? What are they? It always said to me. So what are they talking about? Like he wants to know the feel of the nation, what was going on. So what have they been talking about? And um, and he wasn't doing it because he was being nice to the to the to the young guy with you know no profile and no nothing. He was doing it because he wanted to get that feel for what where the nation was right at this moment. And I thought that was one of the things. You know, you'd see him go into the dairy and Tikiweti, and then all of a sudden, all of Tikiweti was turned out because Paul Holmes turned up because he had that I don't know that magnetic personality, but mm. also when he talked to you, you really felt like. You were being talked to by maybe not an equal because he was always, he's a sublime broadcaster, but but, uh, equal in in humanity. You know, he was, he didn't put himself above you. And I've worked with other broadcasters in similar roles um, who, you know, the bosses have to say to them, you know, you do have to talk to the people who work around you. (laughs) Because if you don't talk to those people, then they won't actually give back to you what they want. And he was, yeah, he was a special human being.
1: Yeah, he was. He was never patch protective and maybe that's because he owned his patch so much. But um <laughs> He had
0: a big patch too. You know, it's something
1: <laughs> it's something I learned from him and um and it's really helped me, you know, through the years and there's been numerous, you know, journalists that I've, you know, had dealings with and, and helped with over the years too. And following you know, following the example that, that he showed me. I think the only time we ever had a crossword was used to drive to Stories together, and he was playing his bloody CD, which was horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh. Yeah, so 19 years ago, um, I left TVNZ, and uh, it, it wasn't a great leaving because I had to go to the employment court to get out of my contract to, uh, to go to TV3, but I just saw the opportunities there as being, being better, and um, so I did that. So I got No farewell, uh, and I was on the home show at the time. And I'd been there for six years. I'd read the news. I'd read with Judy. i you know done three years of current affairs on um, on the home show and had you know submitted a reasonable place and a, and a reasonable standing in the organization. But Paul took the entire um, homes team and their partners out for dinner off-site um, and paid for everything to, for a farewell for me. That was on the Thursday night before wow. Easter. Wow. And then on the Good Friday, the next day, I read the 6 o'clock news on TV3. I um, actually had to ring the receptionist and find out where the building was <laughs> driving there. <laughs> and walked in, oh my God, what the hell have I done? <laughs> wow. But um, it's, it's, it's been fantastic ever since. And, and I started in radio too. You might know I was with RNZ for um, 11 years before I went to TVNZ. And the thing that I always loved about 3 and still love about 3 is it felt like radio. Right. In many respects, it was smaller, and you know, it didn't feel like you were working for a government department. It, um, it, it felt like everyone had a job to do, and probably another couple of jobs as well. Uh, yeah, which is what I've been used to, and so that, that's and and you're you're encouraged, always encouraged to to take the initiative um, uh, and to take the responsibility. There was no safety net below you, and um, that's what I've lived with the last 19 years, and I've bloody enjoyed it.
0: <laughs> do you have any uh feeling and I know we're kind of talking about the unknowns but obviously conversation around media works or TV3 in particular not necessarily or so much the radio stations um, about their future has there been active conversations about uh, how that the current situation has impacted that because at one stage they were saying maybe we have to shut down TV3 maybe you know maybe it's going to have to disappear that was actually a um, a public conversation last year uh, are those conversations mm. still happening? Or is it flipped over to actually we're so important at the moment because of this climate, we have to stay no matter what?
1: Well, yeah, I was in Japan for the Rugby World Cup when that news came out. Um, oh, we In fact, I had a, a 5 o'clock in the morning uh, conference call with CEO Michael Anderson about, um, about TV3 being placed into, uh, into sale. Uh, and, um, yeah, it was a bit of a shock, but then of looking at it i you know and, and and working out you know where the company was going i could see i could see there were actually going to be opportunities there and what transpired in a couple of months after that was that um there was some genuine interest in, in buying it i'm not sure where that process is now obviously right. with with the way things have gone it's probably taken a a setback but well before the end of the year the whole if we don't get a buy, we're going to shut down TV3 scenario was taken off the table. Oh, cool. And that came as a, a huge relief. The thing that I I, I noticed too is that no one rushed out the door, you know, um, and there were offers for a couple of our um, reporters and uh, and they stayed. And that's, you know, you talk about loyalty before. Um that is loyalty but it's also you know knowing the opportunity that that they've been given at three and, and will continue to get and so um i hope that uh that, that sale process does go through or maybe it's that we're sold as a bundle again right um and yeah and i i i kind of like that idea i think it's a multi-platform company we we bring a lot to the table we've got radio and digital and um and television as well and can look to other avenues too uh we'll set up gms which is the the um electronic billboard company so yeah um i i think there is a future there it's it's just so hard, it was hard to predict before COVID 19 yeah. it's pretty near impossible now yeah
0: yeah it's it's uh yeah it's a completely different world we live in hey i was thinking as well you know you're well, I mean, you're famous full stop, but you're sorta of famous in the media world for, you know, getting into war torn areas, you know, going to places that are either in current conflict or have been or are about to be in current conflict in your in your vest and your helmet. Um, <laughs> I talked to a mate the other day and I kinda went it feels like we're sort of in a war at this very second. Yeah, rather than the soldiers being the ones facing bullets, it's the nurses and doctors who are facing, you know, mm-hmm. the, the the most danger can you relate is there any i mean i know it's not the same sort of danger in the streets but is there any sort of similar feeling that you get especially in the reporting world where this is a bit of a war zone at the moment that we're going through only the enemy is unseen and and really unbeatable other than by our own immune system
1: yeah Yeah, there are actually a lot of similarities um you know, uh, when you cover an earthquake or a tsunami or something like that, it's uh, it's an event, and so what you're doing is you're actually looking after the aftermath of it. And you know, each day, each each increasing day, you're getting further and further away from what was the hot spot, if you, if you like. But being in an active war zone is what this feels like. Um, yeah, 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 being Gaza or Afghanistan or you know Iraq, because it's a daily thing. You wake up. Each day, and you're not sure what's going to happen. Uh, it's that uncertainty. Um, and I've got to say, with a war zone, though, it felt like there would be an end soon. You know, you always felt, you know, even in Gaza in 2014, you felt given the number of uh, civilian casualties that there was going to be an end to it within, you know, days or weeks. Um, but this, I'm not so sure about, you know, I, I don't know where the end is with this um, and the repercussions of it could go on for a long, long time. Uh, the whole lockdown thing, I've been in lockdown oh, probably half a dozen times around the world, maybe more. Right. Um, one of the things, and I did a little video post on this a couple of weeks ago, is you know, all the roads clear. And then for some unfathomable reason, people's driving tends to shit.
0: <laughs> they just become so familiar
1: or so relaxed around the fact that there's no traffic on the road. They're going through red lights or not stopping at stop signs. I was driving down Ponsonby Road one night, and there was only me and another car on Ponsonby Road. It was coming towards me. I was going the other way. A pedestrian walked across the pedestrian crossing, and it was still daylight. It was uh, pre-daylight saving finishing so about 7 o'clock. And he almost ran the pedestrian over on a pedestrian crossing. And wow. there's only you know, virtually three of us on the <laughs> entire road. And uh, so that's that's one thing that's uh, you know, people start taking stupid risks with things because they're bored or they become too familiar with um, with, with danger. Uh, the danger here, of course, is, is interaction and, um, and and touching things and getting too close. And and so uh, you know. Um, Hopefully, you know, people stay the course because the last thing we want to do, and there's been a lot written about this and talked about this, is come out of lockdown and then have to go back into it. I think, you know, that would be the death knell for so many businesses in this country. I've got a brother who's got his own sign writing business um, in Christchurch and, you know. He's's he's been marshaling everyone back into their homes, you know, to make sure that this lockdown is it because if it lasts much longer than that, he's he's toast and uh, which is tough. and I know there'll be a lot of small businesses around the country like that. Well, yeah,
0: I'd be interested to get your, your your vibe on that. I, I think I, I read a piece by Barry Soper this morning when i um when I was getting up. And I'd be interested to hear what you think the response has been thus far because paraphrasing his piece, he was saying, the government knows it went too far, and we must come out of lockdown next week, for you know, or else the economy's toast, and you know, the government's backpedaling, sort of thing. I might be paraphrasing a little bit badly, but I definitely one of his points was the government knows it went too far in the in the level four. From a as a citizen, I kind of go, well, I am a citizen and a business owner, so I kind of have I, I have some other. Um, feet in or, or irons and other fires as well. I'm, I put a post on my Facebook page the other night where I said, I'd be happy with another week, you know, just to make sure this thing's gone. And I think Jacinda missed a trick the other day when she said, um, you know, all those people who broke the rules over Easter, you could be responsible for another outbreak. I was like, L- people are selfish. Give it to them in a selfish manner. All those people who broke, uh, you know, broke the rules over Easter, you could be responsible for another four weeks of you yes. being locked down. Yeah, you know, that's the selling point from a from a marketing point of view. It's like because I think people think of their own situation and they go, well, you know, someone in Kaitaia gets sick of that. That doesn't impact me. But you being locked down for another four weeks does. How do you think the government's handled this? And, and what do you think about this idea that some commentators out there at the moment are saying, enough is enough, let's get back to it?
1: Uh, look, I, I don't think they overstepped. I think, um, you know, go to one of the families of someone who's died in the last couple of weeks and, and try and tell them that the, the New Zealand government overstepped their mark. And yeah. Yeah. Who, who knows what would have happened if we, um if we hadn't kept the restrictions as tight as we had. Uh, and I also see there's, it's something in the New Zealand psyche and this is maybe this is the trick we've missed a little bit here. Uh, we've, we've kind of touched on it a little bit with some of those press conferences, but you know, as as a nation, we love affirmation. <laughs> we love being really good at something, or you know, or the world seeing us being really good at something. You know we've got a unique opportunity here to eradicate this thing, to to wipe that out, or at least have you know, a, a absolute strict control over it yeah. that no other country can. Um, and and I think we, we we push on and do that. And well, when I say push on, I mean do the four weeks. Uh, If we had to do another week, I'm with you, yeah, let's do it just to make sure. But surely that's got to benefit us in the long run when you think about our image overseas and the whole clean green, obviously with Doc, you know, um, uh, being a place where you can come and be again. And and I'm thinking now, I did the anniversary of the Christchurch shootings um, just the weekend before we went into lockdown. Uh, and I, I spoke to a widow of a woman who said, you know, she was a refugee who came here from, um, Syria and they came here because New Zealand was the safest place in the world. Mm. Uh, and then that happened. But I think again, we could market ourselves as being the safest place in the world, um, because of, of how we look after people as well. And that's the other thing it's, you know, uh, and by doing that, I think we'll attract the right people as well. So, yeah. um. Yeah, to me, I I think we've actually got a, a really good opportunity here as a nation to to be at the top of the world.
0: Yeah, and I think if people haven't quite picked up on this, I just realised what I just did as well, by the way. I just took a news source that people need to pay for and gave the story out exactly what we've just been talking about. <laughs> exactly. So, like, I'm to, I'm to blame and I'm about to do it again. Uh, <laughs> I, I saw a headline on CNN the other day, um, although it came to my phone so other people can get it for free, mm. and they talked about, Potentially social distancing um, until 2022, which is you know a likely time they ex, uh, expect a, a vaccine by. Um, so I think some people haven't. Uh, I don't know from from reading my Facebook page when I say we just stay in for an extra week. I don't think some people understand the long the potential longevity of this, and the upside from us squishing this. I, I, I talked about Anna Fifefield before it wasn't until I read her piece in the Washington Post that I actually realised, oh, we're going to try and eradicate this from our country. Mm. And if we can do that, you know, we can become this little self-contained uh, independent country where we're already, you know, the grocery store for the world. Um, uh, you know, so we don't grow bananas in New Zealand. You know, I can I can do without a banana. I'm happy with my central Otago peaches. That's fine. I'll go with those. Um and I I think once again this is this comes back to ironically a conversation around loyalty. So then we need New Zealanders to get out there and I have mentioned this a couple of times in these podcasts. And New Zealand needs to run a campaign which is can't do France, do whakatane. You know, can't do Queensland, do Queenstown. And then we become loyal to the country and we become Sort of like you know how Texas always wants to pull away from the rest of America because it's got such a big economy of its own. We sort of become our own little, literally and metaphorically, island in the in the sea where where we can perhaps operate a bit differently than the rest of the world. Perhaps, maybe.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I I think that, and I love the idea for New Zealand. I think it's great, and potentially we can see overseas tourists coming in. you know, so long as I tested and, and proven to be healthy and that kind of thing, uh, you know, to walk our beautiful tracks and, you know, um, to see our scenery and to, you know, to, to go to our cities and, and relax and know that they're not going to get sick. Yep. Um, I think, you know, potentially that's a, a, it's a huge boost. It's, people will pay good money for that. And um, uh, so I think that's great. And I can see, you know, over time, obviously our borders with, uh, with Australia will become a little more freer. Mm-hmm uh you know she's I worry about the states though um i was meant to be going to the u.s later this year for the election and um and also running the marathon uh in new york and um I'm, I'm concerned that uh neither of those things are going to happen uh oh my goodness yeah. could you
0: That's... imagine if the election didn't happen i mean there are a bunch of left-wing commentators are already saying <laughs> have been saying for two years you know if trump gets beaten he's not leaving anyway Imagine if there was actually no election and so he wasn't leaving anyway. If they said we're going to delay it by 12 months, it's it's unfathomable. I was actually going to ask you a question about um, uh, about something that happened with Trump the other day. I realized mm. how I sometimes listen, well, I don't sit there and listen back to my old tapes, but occasionally I come across a, a, a piece of audio and I go, "Well, what's this? And I click on it and it's a talkback call that, I used, that I've saved for some reason. And I just often I cringe and I go, you arrogant 32-year-old shit talking to the 60 year old woman like this what an absolute tosser you were and i realized again i just don't have the mentality for it when um i think he was talking to a incredibly respected journalist from the abc and trump said from the podium well you're a third-rate reporter and i just i i don't understand how someone has the calmness in them in there to kind of go yeah, but that's okay because you're a fourth-rate president. You know, just to not actually say that because I just everything inside me would be kind of coming up wanting to bite back, and obviously that would be a terrible thing to do because you'd lose your spot in the in the in the briefing room and stuff. But yeah, mm. it's it's a very interesting time, uh, and those people who are working reporting Trump are um, very special people, and I am really enjoying the fact that places like CNN have stopped taking those press conferences live, and they're taking up the salient bits. And then they're saying, this is not true. This is true. This is what we're saying. This is what the,
1: uh, you know,
0: like the other day when he said, I have absolute power. Who the fuck does he think he is? I have absolute power.
1: <laughs> King Trump. Which we not to have to reverse about an hour later. Yeah. Yeah, but
0: yeah. So people who haven't seen it, I mean, obviously in America, they have three steps of government. And for example, mm. it's Congress that gets to decide if there's a war. So he doesn't have absolute power. And then the next day he came back and he said, I've given the authority to the governors to run their states as they see fit. Which is their job, so he doesn't have the ability to give that anyway. So uh, I, I know, find it like, difficult because it's, it's he's, like
1: watching oh, a a, a long running version of The Office, except the officers, oh. the the presidency of the United States. Uh, and don't you feel for the um, the New York Governor Cuomo? It's just oh, yeah. uh, you know he just looks like a broken man every time he, he gets up on the podium to announce yet another increased death toll. It's um it's shocking what's going on there. Uh, and, again, another reason to be incredibly thankful for the fact that we live where we live.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, the idea before about opening up the borders and stuff. I Look, maybe you know this, because I've had this conversation two or three times with two or three people. If people come into our country, whoever, New Zealanders or whatever, visitors, and they go into the two-week lockdown, is that because there might be a few days before they show signs that they've got COVID? Because my question was, why aren't they just testing at the border? I mean, obviously, you can test at the border. You can basically go into a hotel room for a day, get the results back. The only logical thing I can think of, this is an Occam's razor thing, is maybe if you've got COVID on day one and they test you on day one, can you give a false negative because it's not going to show until day four or day five? Is that the, like, if you've got it but not showing signs, do you have any idea, you know, being surrounded by news at the moment, if why we're not just testing at the border and then releasing people?
1: the only um thing i can think of and we're not just testing at the border that's the thing the only the people we're testing are those who are showing symptoms i yep. mean yeah you know, there's you know obviously a call to test everybody and i think in the future you know they should be tested before they leave the country uh, departing from and right and then again when they get here i mean to me that makes you know, absolute sense um so yeah it's only people who have symptoms that are being tested and then the rest uh, are all going into more well, quarantine now. And um, and if those symptoms come through, it'll be within that two
0: weeks. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming but... that means, therefore, if they're not showing the symptoms, even if they've got the virus in their system, they'd show negative. That must be the only reason that they're having to go two weeks quarantine. Because if you could test someone who had the virus in their system, but they weren't showing symptoms, if they were to come back positive then you'd know that had to be quarantined rather than just quarantining everyone i'm assuming that's what it is but maybe someone can tell me yeah facebook me
1: yeah well there's a, a, a point that the Director general of health Ashley bringfield made a few weeks ago now he said there was no real evidence to show that people were, who didn't have the symptoms but had covid 19 were then passing it on and so um but we haven't seen anything about that for a while, actually, and I still- I'll check that out. Um, because, yeah, I mean, if there is evidence of that, well, then that throws the whole thing out. You know, there's, there's, there's just, you know, then everyone has to be tested. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, and I guess that's what's going to be looked at over the, the coming months. And if we do look at letting people through our borders, um, and in the meantime, I think, uh, as you say, we need to get out and enjoy this country and enjoy the fact that
0: we you know, live in the most beautiful places in the world. I think finishing that conversation, perhaps about the, you know, can't go to France, go to Whakatane, um, is that both, because Airbnbs are all empty at the moment, obviously, people aren't making money in their Airbnbs. Mm. What people need to now understand, both, you know, private individuals who have got things like Airbnbs and in Air New Zealand, is like we were talking about before with the example of the New York Times price point, is they need to find their price point. If I can fly from Dunedin to, I don't know, let's say nelson not saying that there's going to be an opportunity and do the whole weekend you know two two nights there and flights for a couple of 100 bucks of course i'm going to do it you know it's it's going to support the economy it's going to be a good experience for me uh, at the moment though you know if people want 200 bucks a night for their house and they want it's it's, it's now getting kiwis to have that loyalty back to the country and to and to their fellow citizens who have got things like airbnbs and small businesses but also to the national carrier and it's those small businesses and the national carrier meeting us back in the middle and making that price point so we can do it and then yep let's let's start visiting one another once we're able to and you know i might even get out of the south island at some stage nah But maybe
1: (laughs) (laughs) one of my last weekends before uh, before everything sort of turned to custard um, was actually in Dunedin. I went down. uh, I've got a mate who plays in the band 660. uh, Chris Mack, he plays bass guitar. And so uh, all my family live in Christchurch. I was actually born in Dunedin, but all my family live in Christchurch. And um, so my brothers drove down. We got an Airbnb house out at uh, Mount Cargill. And it was so beautiful on a farm. Slept in and uh, went to the concert, had a great night and uh yeah, so that's the last big social event I went to and it was um it was fantastic.
0: It's a pretty it's a pretty good check mark for a social event to go to, if that was the last one you went to, <laughs> six sixty at Forsyth Bar and hanging out by uh you know, up Mount Cargill. Gosh, can't can't complain about that one.
1: Yeah. And a fantastic band, Aussie band called Ocean Alley. If you haven't heard them yet, uh, have a listen, they're really good.
0: Hey, Mike, look, I think uh, I think as an essential worker, <laughs> I think we've, we've probably used enough of your time today. But it's been really nice talking to you. Um, and I really appreciate you giving us some time, especially to shed some more light yeah, on, on sort of the behind the scenes of what's happening in that whole journalistic world, which everyone's talking on at the moment. And um, maybe next time you're in Dunedin, when the lockdowns have up, maybe we can do a face-to-face in the studio rather than a... Um, I'm in my bedroom. Do I see a pillow back there? Are you in your bedroom too?
1: I'm in, um, well, what would normally be my daughter's bedroom. Right. So um, with a, with a wonderful old map of the world. Yeah, that's us cool. And, yeah. So rather than a bedroom-to-bedroom digital <laughs> I would love that. Digital thank you chat. so much. I've really enjoyed
0: it. Yeah, look, I really appreciate <laughs> it. And and stay safe being out there. And thank you so much for the... Um, it's interesting. I've always laughed at Americans, oh, thanks for your service. So They say to their... Um, to their things, I think I think that's weird. I'll just thank you for your service. I think, but I, I feels really the right thing to say at the moment to those people who are first and foremost in the hospitals at front line. Just please, all the QSMs this year need to go to people who are working in the medical field. No one else. I don't want to fucking see a, an athlete getting a Queen Service Award this year. I want to see nurses and doctors and you know medical and people in the health department. That they can get them all this year. But to you guys as well who are out there and and you are putting yourself at more risk than others. Um, because you're out and about and that as you've said you know one of your colleagues you know showed symptoms sort of thing. So from from me and if you haven't heard it from others in the, in, in the community, genuine thanks for what you're doing because what you're doing is part of this cog that's keeping us all informed so we know what's going on. So I, I do thank you for your service and um, really appreciate it and I look forward to catching up again one day soon.
1: that's thank you.
0: All right, guys, that's us, uh, done and dusted. We will be back again shortly with more podcasts. (laughs) I know I say this each time, but it's such a uh, fast-moving platform at the moment that I could say to you, coming up next is David Slack, which is the next one on on the forecast, but actually tomorrow I've got someone else potentially coming on board, so... Uh, You'll hear from David Slack shortly. There are lots of other people in my inbox who have said, yes, want to do one, let's organize a time. The best way to stay on top of who's coming up when is to head to the Facebook page, actually, facebook.com forward slash D-E-P-T of Conversation. And then apart from that, just head to our website as well, thedoc.nz, www.thedoc.nz. Today's uh, episode was brought to you in part by us and our Patreon, If you'd consider being a subscriber to that, a supporter of what we do, a co-producer, if you will, in what we are all about producing this uh, independent media content for you, then uh, go to our Patreon and check out what we're offering. It's patreon.com forward slash the D-O-C-N-Z. And apart from that, we will have uh, more interesting, insightful, informing guests coming up over the next wee while as we continue these lockdown specials. From my bedroom, that is another edition of the Department of Conversation, as we continue to make sweet, sweet love in your ear holes since 2018. Hooroo!